So we have a plan to have a, a special speaker today, and we do. Let me, let me just give you a little introduction here. Uh, Brenna Kate Simons is, a, is an ordained minister with the Assemblies of God. In the Assemblies of God, we, we commission people for missions work overseas, various different countries, but also for home missionary work. That means being a missionary to America. And Brenna is a home missionary to our area in Massachusetts and surrounding area. Her ministry is very specific and very pertinent, very important for today. If you read the announcements and so forth, she's dealing with people that have same-sex attraction and gender dysphoria. So it's a very unique type of a ministry. But if you have kids in school, this is a very hot topic. Politically, it's a very hot topic. And spiritually, we need to hear from God as to how to, how to deal with this. So I want you to give uh, Brenna Kate Simmons a very warm welcome as she comes today. Uh, she, <clears throat> she and her family uh, reside in Brockton, I believe. Yeah. Right? Live in Brockton. Their home church is Brockton Assembly of God. So welcome to the pulpit, sister. <laughs> you spoke one time on a Friday night a few years ago yeah. on our mission celebration night. So you got the whole deal right I now. I know. I was about to take your mic, and then I'm, I'm wearing one. Yeah, you're all Hi. <laughs> I think I should be good. <laughs> How's everybody doing today? Good. I'm really excited to be here. This is a really high pulpit. <laughs> it's a good thing I'm not afraid of heights. <laughs> so let me start by telling you a little bit about Alive in Christ, which offers hope to individuals, families, and churches who are impacted by same-sex attraction and gender dysphoria. Alive in Christ is interdenominational and Christ-centered. So as Pastor said, I am ordained in the Assemblies of God since I became a Christian in 1999. I've always been in the Assemblies of God. But Alive in Christ was actually founded at Park Street Church. How many people have heard of Park Street Church? Right in downtown Boston by the Boston Common, there's this big old historic church. It's well over 200 years old. And uh, Alive in Christ was actually founded there in 1984. Not by me, I was nine. Um, <laughs> but a man named Peter Robichaud saw that there was a need for, for men who were dealing with unwanted same-sex attraction to come together and get support. Uh, the church hasn't always handled this issue super well. Maybe some of you are aware of that. If you're not, then... then. I hate to break it to you, but uh, we haven't always been kind to people wrestling with these issues. So, so Alive in Christ is interdenominational, which means our leadership team, which is seven people besides me, covers all different Protestant denominations, but as our name would imply, we are Christ-centered. We believe that Jesus is still in the business of changing lives. So how we operate is that we are a discipleship and mentoring ministry. We believe that as we personally grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ, as we walk shoulder to shoulder with others on the same journey, whether it's other people dealing with same-sex attraction or families that are impacted by these issues, and as we are mentored by those who are a little further down the road, that we will progressively walk into the freedom that Jesus Christ died to give. Let me tell you what, about what we believe. We believe in the truth of God's word concerning sexuality that God created sexual intimacy to be expressed between one man and one woman who've committed to each other for a lifetime in marriage. We believe the promise of the gospel is whole life transformation, that Jesus came to change our lives and renew our minds. Now, I'm not going to read all of these scriptures that are um, referenced here, and that this made me realize I did not put our brochures out there. But if you want a brochure that talks about our beliefs and basically everything in that little purple folded thing, I can grab a couple from my, my box of stuff. But Romans 12.2 was a foundational scripture in my journey. And in the New Living Translation, it says, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. We believe same-sex attraction is not chosen, but is one of many kinds of temptation. Experiencing same-sex attraction in and of itself is not a sin. But like any other temptation, we can sin in how we respond, right? 
And finally, Jesus, we believe Jesus came to set us free and that all believers are called to be obedient to his word. So I'd like to share a little bit more about this one because um, let me ask you a question, actually. How many of you are familiar with Teen Challenge? Okay, wow, yeah, you go, church. That's awesome. Uh, its official name is now Adult and Teen Challenge, but you old habits die hard. So um, have you guys had Teen Challenge here, the choir and the testimonies? That's awesome, right? So I, as Pastor said, I go to church in Brockton, and in Brockton there's a, a Teen Challenge. So when they're not out singing and giving testimonies and stuff, they come to church with us. And I like, I like to talk to the guys, and I might ask them, how long have you been sober? In other words, how long have you been walking in obedience in this area of your life? Now, for those of us dealing with unwanted same-sex attraction, we get a different question. We, the question we get is, when was the last time you experienced same-sex attraction? Not how long have you been walking in obedience in the midst of temptation? And this has been very, very damaging to people in the church with same-sex attraction, to have basically a different uh, method of measuring what freedom and obedience looks like. And the reason we bring this up is for, for that reason. So that we have, first of all, let me say it this way. Too often we think of freedom as the absence of temptation. But even Jesus was tempted. But he did not sin. So if we, we have an expectation that we will have a life free of temptation, then we perhaps are expecting to be more free than Jesus because again, Jesus was tempted, but he did not sin. And I actually, you'll see a picture of it in a second, but I wrote a book called Learning to Walk in Freedom. I would love for you to have a copy. If you have $10, it's $10. If you don't have $10, the books are right there. You can just take one, and I mean that. Uh, Because I explain all these concepts about learning to walk in freedom that I had to wrestle with in my own journey. Um, But let me tell you a little bit more about what we do, and then we'll jump right in here. So we offer hope through support groups. We have four support groups, uh, two for individuals dealing with unwanted same-sex attraction and two for families. We also offer a number of seminars and speaker services, trainings. Uh, Our main training is called Same-Sex Attraction and the Church, Compassion Without Compromise. We actually have a training scheduled in Lynn in April uh, when I'll pass more information along about that. But we have a training specifically for parents, educators, grandparents. It's called Speaking to Youth About LGBT Issues from a Biblical Perspective. As Pastor said, parents today are very concerned about uh, what's going on in schools, They seem less concerned about what's going on on TikTok and Instagram and all the other things that they should be just as concerned about because that input is coming from all these sources. So how do we as Christian parents build a foundation of biblical truth so that we can also have input in their lives? So lots of trainings, lots of of resources. So... Let me, I like to ask questions. I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions as we go on today. So pay attention. You guys ready? This is your first question. You ready? No, no one's ready. Okay. (laughs) Okay. How many of you remember your first crush? Like the first time you had a crush on somebody. All right. Wow. Some hands like shot up. You guys are ready to go. I need some of you to yell out how old you were. 33, is that what you said? Okay. (laughs) That's perfect. He can answer however he wants. Wait. 11, 9, 8, 12, 5, 6. (laughs) I, I laugh because... I, the, the, the youngest answer I've gotten was three. Like, I don't even remember being three. Yeah, like, I saw my aunt recently, and she reminded me that from like four and a half to five and a half, when I was four and a half to five and a half, she lived with me, and I don't have a single 
recollection of that. And she's like my favorite aunt. Hopefully my other aunts aren't watching this. Um, she's one of my favorite aunts. Okay, okay. Let me ask you another question. How, how about how old were you the first time you fell in love? She's a pa <laughs> Pastor Pamela's answering for Pastor Rick. If you can't see this up there. <laughs> She's like pointing to him and like answering. Oh, you guys are awesome. Okay, say it again. I was distracted. 18, 17, 16. Sure, whatever. You know, we're, we're flexible about the definition. Oh, how old were you? Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> See, you're going to buy her a nice gift on the way home. <laughs> she said she thought she was in love at 14, but this is love. So how old were you when you fell in love with him? Um, I was 25. He answered for her. <laughs> 25, awesome, awesome. Well, congratulations. Um, <laughs> well, this is going back a ways for me, but I was 15 when I first thought I fell in love. That's a good question, you know? You've got, you know what I'm talking about here. Um, I hadn't had the easiest life so far. I jokingly say that I was born so early my parents were on a business trip, but they actually were on a business trip. Um, my father had been assigned, and my father uh, was a career postal worker. He had been assigned a detail in another state. So I was actually born two months early in another state, uh, they didn't have any facilities for premature babies, so they had to ship me off, saying I had a 50% chance of survival. Um, I survived. <laughs> it, was, it was a little, yeah, right? Amen. Glory to God. <laughs> it was a little rough, rough, um, I'm told. I don't recall. Uh, I don't even remember being four. I certainly don't remember being born, right? Um, my mother, unfortunately, is an alcoholic. That's part of why I have such a heart for Teen Challenge. She began, my, early, my earliest memory is of her drunk. Uh, and my father worked, a lo worked long hours. I'd say as a child, I made friends easily enough. And then where I'm from, actually not that far from here in Dover, New Hampshire. So that's where we eventually settled, in Dover, New Hampshire. So the thing I knew about Haverhill you guys can laugh at me if you want, is that you have a really good marching band. Uh, at least you did when I was in high school, because we would go to all these, I play the French horn, and the guitar, and the piano, and I sang, but uh, we would go to all these marching band competitions, and Haverhill and Dedham always won. Haverhill and Dedham. So that's all, I didn't know where you were or anything else, I just knew you had a really good marching band. <laughs> but yeah, not, not too, too far from here. In Dover, New Hampshire, I settled, and in where I'm from, we had junior high, so elementary school went up to sixth grade, and then seventh and eighth grade, you went to junior high. And I don't know what happened in junior high. Actually, I don't know what happened in the summer before junior high, but when I got to junior high, one of my nicknames was Snuffleupagus. Okay, how many of you know who Snuffleupagus is? Does anyone not know? Snuffleupagus is this like imaginary friend, elephant, woolly mammoth sort of thing, think trunk. Okay, so I don't have a small nose, in case you want to see the profile, but it's not like you see me walk into a room and you recoil in horror at the size of my nose, but it's just one of those things. The kids, kids are so mean. I didn't have the right jeans. Back then it was guest jeans and these horrible, like, wrapper, chessmate pants and stuff. Who thought those were a good idea? I don't know. But that was cool. And I have this hair that can't decide if it's straight or curly half the time, and it was the same back then. And, yeah, it was just a disaster. It was just a disaster. And, and, and I, given my childhood and other things that had been going on, I was a prime target for bullying. But this is how I phrase it. I'll say that the bullying I started to experience at that time kind of solidified in me something I had already been wrestling with, that I was worthy of rejection and unlovable. Well, I really felt like this changed at age 15 when I fell in love. I felt seen, I felt known, I felt someone really wants to know me. There was just a small problem, I fell in love with my female best friend. Now, I like to say 
Uh, this was 1990. Some of you were not alive then, okay? <laughs> but I'll tell you for context that I came out seven years before Ellen DeGeneres. And we can't imagine a world where a lesbian, it's perfectly normal for a lesbian to have a talk show, a very successful talk show, though I heard she is retiring, you know? So after this young lady and I entered into a relationship, a physical relationship, I didn't know who, who to talk to about this. There was no Google. There was none of that stuff. I literally knew one gay person, and it was this young lady's mother. But I wasn't going to talk to her. So I looked in a book, and the book said that if you experience same-sex attraction, and especially if you act on it, then you're gay. And I remember thinking, there it is in black and white. I'm a homosexual. It felt like I had no choice but to accept this part of myself. And as the years went by, the more I read, the more I met other people like me, the more the message became ingrained. This is who you are. You were born this way. You have to completely accept this part of yourself or you will never be happy. And so for the next 10 years, I built my life around being gay. Now, there's a young man in scripture, stories a little different than mine, but he also felt he had no choice but to build his life upon the script he had been given and the set of circumstances he had been born into. Plus, what he was called to was so highly regarded in this society why would he choose another path? So we're going to pray, and then we're going to turn to Mark 10. So let's pray. Jesus, as we look to your word, let your word look to us. Let this not just be something we do so we can go to lunch, <laughs> so we can check it off our list, went to church on Sunday, read the words, sang some songs, prayed a little bit. But Lord God, let us believe that your word still changes lives. That Jesus' example still is our example. And that the way he loves is the way we are also meant to love. In fact, 1 John, I think it's 4.19 says, we love because you first loved us. Holy Spirit, have your way. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So we're in Mark 10, starting in verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, obviously, as I mentioned before, this young man's story uh, differs a little bit from mine, but we will find some parallels in it. Before we jump into that, I want to take a second, though. I want to share some statistics with you that were collected between 2007 and 2013 and published in 2014 in a book called Us Versus Us. And it, the statistics are about LGBT, that stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, about their experience of faith. And I think this is important because oftentimes, we, maybe as you can gather from the title of the book, which is Us Versus Us, we've, we all, always thought of these people as outside the church building, but you, you might learn a little, something a little different. So you're going to get a chance to guess. So you can put up the next slide. So people, 
both in the LGBT community and in the general American population were asked the same question. This is the question. How many of you were raised going to a community of faith on a weekly basis from age zero to 18? Community of faith, weekly basis, zero to 18. Now, this is a nationwide study. So if we just took the survey in, in New England, which is considered classically unchurched, the numbers would be different. But what we're really looking at here is the comparison between the general American population and the LGBT community, okay? Um, so what do you think this number is for the general American population? It's, it's a percentage. What do you think the percentage is? 90? 80? 70? It's like the price is right, except we're going the other way. <laughs> what did you say? 20. <laughs> you guys are awesome. You're really into this. Thirty <laughs> percent. It's actually seventy-five percent. So we're talking about people who now would probably okay be around age like late twenties all the way up to a hundred. You know, all ages. So in generations past, it was much more typical that people would go to a community of faith, so not a church necessarily. This covered all faiths, and it, it represented like the, the American population, so it wasn't heavy in one way or another. Like there weren't, there were even Muslims. There's all faiths, right? Okay, so we're gonna, what about the number for the LGBT community? Do you think it's higher or lower? Higher? Lower? <laughs> like, I just want to know the answer. Could everyone be quiet now? No, I'm just kidding. It's higher. It's higher. 86%. 86%. 86 yeah. So LGBT people were raised going to communities of faith at a higher rate than the general American population. Okay, that surprises most people, right? Next statistic. What percentage of the general American population do you think will leave their community of faith? Community of faith, not church, not Christian church, not evangelical church, because for this we usually hear pretty high numbers, so let me just temper that. At some point after age 18. Twenty-seven percent. I know, right? That number is much lower than we anticipated. So I like to let the shock wear off at that answer before we go to the next one. Do you think the number is higher or lower for the LGBT community? Higher is correct, 54%. So if we look at those two numbers, we see that LGBT people are leaving their communities of faith at exactly double the rate, double the rate of the general American population. So why do, I, why do I share all that with you? Well, certainly because of my own life, my own experience, my own testimony, but also what I do for ministry, I try and keep this always in the back of my mind that to seek first to understand. I mean, a lot of you are really surprised by some of those numbers. Just because of some of those, some of you weren't. This we got one was like, no, I'm not surprised at all. <laughs> it's okay. You see you're very educated in this topic, but everybody else was surprised. But now because we talked about this a little bit, you have a better understanding. And throughout the message today, I think you'll gain an even better understanding. So if we go back to the rich young ruler, we notice in the story that he ran up to Jesus. Not only did he run up to Jesus, he fell on his knees. And what was the first thing he said? Good teacher. He knew he had something to learn from this man. And as I imagine the story, I imagine that he had a burning question in his heart that he felt like only Jesus could answer. So as we think about this story, what are four things we learn from the rich young ruler? The first thing is that our identity matters to Jesus. Our identity matters to Jesus. Now, I told you a second ago, I play a bunch of instruments. I actually went to New England Conservatory of Music. Have any of you heard of that? Most people have heard of Berkeley, but not New England Conservatory. <laughs> well, at the time when I went to New England Conservatory, it was one of the top three music schools in the country. Now, 
I have a degree in voice. There were like 200 of us or something, so don't be too impressed with me. But there were, there were people there who were like one of 10 clarinetists or you know, one of 10 trumpet players. And I, I say that because there was a young man there, clarinet player, who gave his life to Jesus. And while he was there, Jesus started to ask him, if I called you into ministry, would you do that for me? Now, some of us don't understand the weight of that, but people at this school, especially clarinet players, uh, string players like violin and stuff, piano players, they've been practicing four to eight hours a day for 10 to 15 years. They are the best of the best. So let me put it to you this way. Can you think of something that is so much a part of your identity that without it you wouldn't know who you were? I wonder if the rich young ruler in this story was pretty settled on his identity, that of a very wealthy and powerful man. Since I seek first to understand, I try to put myself in his shoes, and I wonder if he had some kind of family business or legacy of wealth that his father and even his grandfather had instilled in him. Well, identity is a question on the forefront of people's minds today. In fact, a couple of months ago, I was getting ready to come speak at a church, and I swiped on my phone to see the weather. And when you swipe left on the iPhone, on my iPhone at least, the Bible verse of the day comes up. So I clicked on the Bible verse of the day. Now, I've long since forgotten the Bible verse of the day, but I had to laugh when I saw the, the prominently featured Bible plans. Six out of the first 11 were about identity. So you can go to the next uh, slide. Known, 10 days to discovering your identity. That was one of them. What was the next one? Who am I? If who am I didn't work for you, we got the next one. Who am I really? <laughs> A journey to discover your true identity. We have another one. Renamed, embracing your new identity in Christ. And I think there's one more. Yep, living changed, embracing identity. Well, if Christians are wrestling with these questions, how much even more so the world? And for me, when I began to walk in obedience to Jesus Christ in the area of my sexuality, I really had to wrestle with who I was. And it didn't help that my same-sex attraction was like, I like to describe it like a swarm of killer bees. You know those old like Looney Tunes cartoons when something's chasing you and you're like the road runner and it's like you're right behind you? That's what I felt like. It's a silly analogy, but it did not feel silly. And I realized at a certain point, I wasn't meant to be running from something. I was meant to be running to someone, my creator, who could define my identity. Sam Albury, who wrote a book called Is God Anti-Gay, says this, when you encounter Jesus Christ, you are no longer defined by who you love. You are now defined by who has loved you. So one thing we learn from this story is that our identity matters to God. The second thing we learn is we can choose to trust God. We can choose to trust God. Now, we live in a culture that tells us we must have certain things in order to be happy, to achieve contentment, right? What is the first thing people say to you when you meet? What do you do? Meaning, like, what is your profession? What is your job, right? So everybody wants a good job. Everybody wants a house. They want a companion or a spouse. They'd love some well-behaved kids thrown in there too, right? But at some point, someone had lied to this young man in and told him that in order to feel content, he must have his wealth. Clearly, he could not imagine his life without it. Now, I'm reading from the NIV today, but if you read like a different translation that's more literal, it says that the man went away distressed, <laughs> like forlorn, like crushed into a million pieces by Jesus' answer to his question. I was told a different lie. I was told I was born gay. To the point where they, people would say, like, if you don't live as a lesbian, you're, you'll be suicidal. You'll probably end up dead. The narrative is even more strong today. Now, right before this story in the Gospel of Mark is the story of the parents bringing their children to Jesus. You're probably familiar with the story, right? The disciples were like, go away. <laughs> Jesus, this is my Brenna paraphrase, I like to call it when I interpret a Bible story. Like, Jesus doesn't have time for all these little kids. What does Jesus say? 
Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. It's interesting to me that this story happens right before the story of this rich young man in scripture. Because little kids naturally trust. Any of you who've had a baby, or a grandkid, or a niece, or a nephew, or you've babysat, you never have to have this conversation with a child. Okay, baby. I just want you to know, if you need anything, cry. You know, if you are hungry, cry. If you wake up in the middle of the night scared, cry. If you're cold because you've basically been in a 98.6 degree swimming pool for nine months, cry. You don't have to say that. The baby cries. And if you don't break that trust, that child will continue to come to you. And just this week, my daughter runs inside from being outside. She, had, she was wearing Crocs. And she's like, there's something on my foot. And I thought it was going to be like, so my daughter's nine. I thought it was going to be like a piece of glass or something. It was some kind of like brown slime. So in typical mother fashion, I just like wipe it off. I'm like at my desk working. I wipe it off with my finger because that's what moms do. And she's like, oh, okay. And then she just hops away. But what is the first thing she does when she's scared? She comes to get a parent. She comes to get somebody she trusts. Now, when this young man, after he came to Jesus and Jesus answered, he wasn't so eager to trust Jesus. He didn't trust that no matter what Jesus required of him, he would be okay because God is trustworthy. Now, wealth, most would say, is a gray area in scripture. It's not a sin to have money. We have this scripture we quote that's not a scripture. (laughs) that money is the root of all evil. That's not in the Bible, by the way. (laughs) It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And what we gather from that scripture and from this story is that idolatry is a sin. And we gather from whatever business plan this young man wanted to follow, he wanted to continue doing so no matter what the cost. Now, God's design, as I shared in the beginning, is clear in the Bible in terms of sexuality. One man, one woman who've committed to each other for a lifetime in marriage. Here's the thing. If we're being honest, that seems unfair to people with same-sex attraction. (laughs) It seemed unfair to me. In fact, I had another lesbian relationship after I became a Christian. I basically felt like Jesus... I was deciding between Jesus and everything I had built my life upon. And what I thought was my only chance at real love. Last year I read a devotional called Experiencing God Day by Day. And this this, um, little passage really caught my eye. Don't discount the power of God as described in scripture simply because you have not experienced it. Bring your experience up to the standard of scripture. Never reduce scripture to the level of your experience. (laughs) My kids used to say to me, they they know better now, you know, it's not fair. Whatever the thing was, it's not fair. And I would reply, the cross isn't fair. Everything else pales in comparison. But it's true for people with same-sex attraction. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus gave up his sexuality for us? I mean, seriously. He could have had a family. He could have married. He probably watched his younger siblings do that, especially being 33 in that society. I mean, we know from Mary that girls married women, we can barely call them women, married as teenagers, you know? But he laid that down for the cross. Everything else pales in comparison to the cross. And so in my life, I had to trust that he wasn't withhold that he wasn't being unfair, that he wasn't withholding love and fulfillment from me with his design for sexuality. If I remained single, then he would fulfill me. If I married, he would also fulfill me. <laughs> we have this thing in our society that we we see in every movie and every love song that once we find the one our lives will be perfect. Yeah, some of you are like cackling because the idea is so ludicrous to you. Now, even those of you who have really good, healthy, happy marriages, that's not real life. 
It's not Cinderella. It's not three words at a dance and then you're dancing to, so this is love. <laughs> I mean, but literally when you think about it that way, it's like in every movie we show our kids from a young age. Sorry, that wasn't in my notes. Um, <laughs> and I've already spoken for 30 minutes, so we're going to crank this up here. So, so number two, we can choose to trust God. Number three, there is a reward. Now, the cool thing about scripture is you see all types of people. People like Peter. You can always count on Peter to say what everyone else is thinking, but they're afraid to ask, you know? Now, I would encourage you to go home, and I'm, I skipped a little section where the disciples are bewildered at the fact that it's hard for the rich to inherit the kingdom of heaven. So that's what that's, this is flowing out. So go home and read that. That's your homework. But, Jesus, but Peter says, you know, he jumps right in. We have left everything to follow you. Like, what are we getting out of this, Jesus? You know, he's not afraid. He's just like, we have left everything to follow you. I mean, he had a wife, you know. He had a live-in brother, too. Did you ever notice that his brother Andrew lived with him? Anyway, just throwing that out there. These are the things you notice when you read scripture. Uh, Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. The disciples are starting to get excited at this point. They're like, yeah, Jesus, go Jesus. Home, brothers, mothers, whatever, I skipped something. Brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields. They're like, fields too? And then Jesus says, along with persecutions. And they're like, hmm, what? Wait, what? And, and in the age to come, eternal life. We can laugh, but society had lied to us, really lied to all of us, and told us that in order to feel complete, like we talked about a second ago in my strange rabbit trail, in order to feel complete, we need to be in a marriage or a committed relationship, that romantic love is the end-all, be-all. Jesus is saying, no matter what you've had to leave behind to follow him, God sees. Your sacrifice does not go unnoticed. And for me, that last relationship I had after becoming a Christian, the, the woman I was in a relationship with ended it. She ended the relationship, and then I decided, this is my, this is it. This is my line in the sand moment. That was March 9th of 2000. Uh, a long time ago, but, you know, that means that walking in obedience is a journey. I never went back, but that doesn't mean it was easy. Uh, and you already know that I have a family, so I have a picture of them. Where are they? There they are. <laughs> We decided, this is on January 1st of this year, we decided, I don't know why, January 1st was a Sunday, so it was kind of a weird, like, we had church in the morning and stuff, and my husband's like, you want to go to the beach? I'm like, sure. All these people were there, like, in bikinis. I was so confused. Like, what are people doing here swimming? And then I realized it's like this secular, like, almost baptism ceremony that people have on January 1st to, like, dunk themselves in the water. Crazy, crazy, crazy people, okay? <laughs> but anyway, there's my, my husband, Roy, in the front, my Nathaniel, JJ, Maggie, um, 16, almost 14, and she just turned nine. Wonderful family. Um. <laughs> I, I do like to say that, that that swarm of killer bees that I had to run from for so long uh, is almost gone. I would say, I like to, I don't know if you have gnats or no seams, those little bugs that every once in a while, they fly by your head and you just swat them away without thinking. That's what my same-sex attraction is like these days. But there was no guarantee of any of that when I, when I took Jesus at his word. Sometimes we have to take Jesus at his word. There are all sorts of things in the Bible that seem really weird. Like, I, I love the book of Joshua, and we always hear about Jericho, right? The trumpets and all, that's so weird. But you want to know what else is kind of weird? Having the priests step into a flooded river. That's what happened at the Jordan River. 
There's just this tiny little scripture, and the Jordan River was flooded during harvest season. You know, I, how many sermons have you heard about the flooded Jordan River? How many sermons have you heard about the Red Sea? Yes, right? The Red Sea split before them. Of course they could walk across it. They didn't have to step into a flooded river. There's all sorts of strange things in Scripture that seem strange to us. But we just have to obey. We have to obey. So the last, last point here. Let's wrap this up. We've got to love people. <laughs> I, I love this version of this. We do. I <laughs> And she's got some kind of badge on. You're going to have to talk to her after. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time because you're so vocal. I like it. But we have to love people. And one of the reasons I love Mark's account of this is that he records this moment that before Jesus answered, before Jesus put his finger on the thing in this young man's that kept that kept young man's life that kept God from being number one there's like this pause where Jesus looks at him and loves him he loves him and he hopes that that love is communicated more loudly than anything else so if we I have one more set of statistics for you all from this survey we already talked about how LGBT people, LGBT people leave their communities of faith at double the rate of the general American population. But what percentage of the general American population do you think is open to returning to their religious communities, their communities of faith? What percentage? 90%. Someone say two? 10%. It's 9%. <clears throat> Nine percent. It's very, very sad number. It is a sad number. Now, what about the LGBT community? What do you think that number is for them? Point zero two. <laughs> Any other guesses? Seventy-six percent. So, in the survey, they said. Uh, they, they asked, are you open to returning? And if they said yes, they asked, what would it take for you to return? And the number one answer was feeling loved. So I'm going to read some quotes of what they meant by that. Tasha, a 21-year-old lesbian living in Miami, Florida, said, if you let any church people read this, tell them I don't have to be right to feel loved. I have to be dignified in our disagreement. And Kim, a 42-year-old lesbian living in Jackson, Mississippi, I hear God's love is the great equalizer. It's hard to believe it when I've never been told God loves me. 42 years old. It gets worse. I think God loves me, but when I tried going, back, going to church a few years back, I sure didn't feel it. I think they're scared I'm going to cause problems because we might not agree. I don't care about that. I want God's love to bring me into the fold like it does with everyone else. So I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads, please. <laughs> if you're here and you need God's love to bring you into the fold like it does with everyone else, if you hear passages like, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, his only begotten son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but shall have eternal life. If you're sitting here today and you have never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, if you have never experienced that love and the forgiveness that comes with that love, forgiveness of sins, with the eyes closed, please, I just ask you to raise your hand so I can pray for you. Jesus, we thank you for this amazing example of the love of Christ.
we thank you, Lord God, that we have the opportunity to share that love with a hurt and broken and dying world. But first, God, we need to experience that love ourselves. That's not an easy thing. Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus that they would know this love that surpasses knowledge, that they would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And that's what I pray for the people here today, that they would know your love to a point where it's not just known in their heads, but seeps down into every part of their being, that it just flows out of them to the world around them. And God, I just thank you so much for this opportunity to share today. We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm going to call Pastor Rick back up here, but I, would, I have newsletters and business cards and stuff, and if anyone has any questions about the ministry, about our support groups or anything, I would love the opportunity to talk to you. Uh, we do have the, um, the Luthros coming on the third Sunday in November. They are missionaries to uh, Asia. And we have one of our own uh, kids workers, Monica Hall, will be speaking in November as well. Uh, she's an ordained minister with the assemblies, and her specialty is reaching out to children. So we're trying to uh, follow the scripture in Acts 1.8, um, the Lord said, when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, you will receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, right, where you are, uh, Judea, Samaria, and to the outermost parts of the world. We support several missionaries locally in Haverhill, in the New England area, in the U.S., and uh, Brenna would be considered a local home missionary to our New England area. How many of you agree that this is an important subject? <clears throat> and how many of you would agree that there's hope in Jesus Christ, right? There is hope in Jesus Christ. Okay, why don't we stand together? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, and I, I want to give you an opportunity to to, for you to bring an offering for Brenna. So after I say the amen, I know everybody's hungry and the food's getting ready downstairs, but we have to pray and, and then uh, receive this offering. So um, after we, we do this, uh, you'll be free to linger for a few minutes, uh, give the ladies a little bit of a time to get everything set up for downstairs. But um, I'm ready to eat. I don't know about you. I ate very lightly this morning in anticipation of this. <laughs> Can you relate? <laughs> So let's go to the Lord. <clears throat> Lord, thank you for a great day in your house. Thank you, Lord, for the beautiful reminder there is hope in Jesus Christ. There's no problem, no situation, no bondage that's so big that you can't set us free. We rejoice in that, Lord. Many of us have gone down various roads of bondage before. And we're so thankful that we, can, we are delivered in the name of Jesus. Lord, for those that are struggling, even here today online, with whatever it is, with it's like the rich young ruler with money and pride and all of that, whether it's same-sex attraction or a drug problem or alcohol problem, Lord, whatever, whatever the temptation is, we surrender it to you right now. And pray for continued freedom. Lord, as we heard the temptation is not the sin. It's the acting upon it that would be the sin. Give us the power, O oh God, the Holy Ghost power to be true to your word. Help us to be obedient. So, Lord, thank you for Brenda coming today. We pray your blessing upon her lovely family, upon her ministry, Lord, in these days. This is a crucial ministry, Lord. We pray blessings over this offering now as we as we as we pour into her life and ministry lord bless it that she can do what she's called to do 
So we thank you for it. Thank you for those that are contributing today. And Lord, bless our time of fellowship. Let us have a good time. Bless all the good food for our good health. And uh, bless our time together. We thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen and amen. So if you can, whatever kind of offering you could give, there's some baskets set up up here. This will be solely for Alive in Christ Ministries. If you're writing a check, make it out to New Life, and we'll center one check with the rest of the offering. Thank you. Let's get ready to go.